There was a, a lad in my class at school, when I was at school, an awful long time ago. Um, we weren't friends particularly, we just happened to be uh, in the same class. But uh, we did appear together in a school play. Uh, and it was very apparent that uh, this lad was highly talented, much more than I was. Uh, uh, and, um, uh, and one could um, predict a future for him in that sphere. And that's exactly what happened. And so we left school. Our lives took a very, very different direction. But he became a big noise in the world of theatre. Uh, he, he was, at one point, the artistic director of the Royal Shakespeare Company. Uh, he also was the artistic director of the Royal National Theatre. Uh, and he also served in that position in the Theatre Royal. And he's been knighted. Uh, and he's been made an OBE. So he's hit the heights of fame. Telegraph a couple of years ago said this of him and named him amongst the most influential people in British culture. That was the lad who's in the same class as me at school. <laughs> I sometimes wonder now if uh, we were ever to meet again. It's very unlikely. We move in, in extremely different circles. <laughs> But what if we were to meet him? How would he respond to me? How would he react? He's a celebrity now. Some, some celebrities, when they meet the ordinary public, like you and me, can be very gracious. Others can be um, quite condescending. Others can be plainly obnoxious. But it's a different world to us. And I don't know if we were ever to meet It's never likely to happen and I would go up to him and would say, Trevor, now, do you remember me? I was in your class at school. How would he react to me? <laughs> well, I just wonder, too, about the Apostle John uh, on the island of Patmos, Patmos, where the Lord appears to him. Uh, and, and, and John, as he's confronted with this amazing sight, of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, whether these thoughts might pass through his mind, how will he react to me now? He, he might have casted his mind back to the first time he met him, this stranger, never met before, but John the Baptist, who John was following along with his friend Andrew, uh, heard John say, behold, the Lamb of God. Uh, uh, and that was enough for them to turn aside from John and follow the Lord Jesus. And they went and spent time with him. And then, uh, but of course then, as I say, he, he was just a, a relatively unknown stranger out of the backwoods. That would be John's first encounter with the Lord Jesus. Then some time later, when he and others are about their chosen profession of fishing, would have heard him say, follow me and I will make you 
fishers of men. Uh, and for three years then, John, along with the other disciples, were in the company of this Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, and uh, he was, to all intents and, uh, and appearances, outwardly, just like any other man. Uh, 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 and John got particularly close to him during those three years, particularly intimate with the Lord Jesus. Uh, and that would have been his experience of spending time with Jesus Christ. Uh, and then, after the crucifixion um, uh, and the resurrection, when Jesus appeared to them, he was still in that humanity, that body he assumed not yet glorified, still recognisable in every way as a man, like any other man. Uh, and maybe almost the last encounter would have been when they went back to their fishing and, and Jesus cooked a breakfast for them on the beach and then gathered with the disciples and the Lord Jesus still in that recognisable form of an ordinary, apparently ordinary man, not yet glorified, ascending up into heaven. And that would have been the last time John had met with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here we are. Maybe some 50 or 60 years have passed. And how different things are. How Incredibly different things are. How changed is the appearance of the Saviour he had known and loved for those years of his earthly ministry. Here's John. He's an old man, a very old man now. He's been preaching. He's, he's been teaching. Uh, he's been writing. Thank God for what John has written for us that we have in the New Testament. But now he's exiled um, uh, on the island of Patmos, a rocky island, he, he's persecuted for Christ's sake. Uh, and he's very old. And his face, of course, would show the signs of advancing years like anybody's does. His hair, no doubt, white. And there he is on Patmos, um, exiled, humiliated, forgotten by and large by the rest of the world and and. Jesus Christ appears to him uh, uh, and in appearance so incredibly different to that last time that John met him. By contrast, having ascended into glory, now, uh, uh, and the description we get of him, what he is like in heaven, and in that glorified appearance he appears before John on Patmos, and we get this um, highly, highly evocative description of what John sees, this, uh, this person who is like the Son of Man. So there is still recognizable humanity about him, but very different from when he was here before. Uh, and now we read he's clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band, his head and hair white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Uh, and, and 
And what a contrast from that last time John saw the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry. And what does John think now? How is this glorified person going to respond to me, an old man, in my failing years? What is he, how is he going to deal with me? What would his response be to me? Now he is glorified and exalted and crowned as the king of, of the universe. He must have thought that. He must have wondered, mustn't he? But the, the, the sight before him is of such surpassing glory that he can do no other than to fall to his feet and lie prostrate before him. And when I, when I read the Bible, I discover that anybody who was ever confronted with the glory of the Lord reacted in exactly the same way, were prostrated before him. Uh, and I think there's something for us here because we can sometimes sing quite glibly about the glory of the Lord. Uh, almost matter-of-factly. Um, but that's not how they reacted in the days of the scriptures. There was nothing matter-of-fact about that experience of those who met the glory of the Lord. So here's John prostrate now at the feet of this risen, glorified Christ. And we'll leave him there for a moment or two, if you don't mind. And we'll start now to think about ourselves a little. There's maybe uh, there, there, there's due cause, a necessary cause sometimes for us to just reflect and review where we are now as Christian men and women. Just look at our own life uh, and particularly our, our relationship to the Saviour who gave himself for us and how it has been and how it's developed over the years, if it has developed, because sometimes in the intervening years, uh, what, what was maybe so real and, and, and so vibrant when you first came to know the Savior, somehow that's got a little dimmed. But other things have intervened, haven't they? Just the mere responsibilities of life or the cares and distractions of our world and uh, I, I don't know sometimes that that uh, initial experience that, that you know changed your whole outlook on life transformed your lifestyle somehow that either seemed to get diluted uh, uh, as we struggle our way through life uh, uh, and then we might ask the question how would the Lord, looking at us now, at this stage in our lives, how would he look at us now? How would he respond towards us? What will he do with us? Because now he's elevated uh, and now he's glorified. Would he still want to know us? I'm not at all certain that my classmate would want to know me. No reason why he should want to. But does this one who's exalted far above any man ever, whom we've come to know by grace, 
And then, as he looks upon us now, as he looks upon your life uh, at this moment, how, how would he still want to know us, do you think? I think John must have asked himself that question because in contrast to him, our lives are very ordinary, aren't they? Uh, they, they uh, we're so slow to understand. We're so cold in heart very often. Sin has so easily mastered us, hasn't it? And things have changed with us from those first flush of experience when we met with the Saviour for the first time and marvelled at his grace towards us and his love towards us, given himself for us. And you remember how it was then? Nothing would be too a high price to pay to live for his glory. Uh, And maybe it's not quite like that now, over the passing of the years. How is this saviour? How has he going to look upon? Has he changed? Has he changed towards us? Now he is in this place of glory uh, and transfigured with the glory that belongs to him as the only son of God. And how will we know if he has changed towards us? How will we know? Well, let's turn back to John then, lying there in the dust at the feet of this glorious person. And how then does the risen Lord deal with John? And can we find some hope and encouragement from what John has to tell us that would lead us to at least dare to believe that change though we have, and not always for the better, our Saviour has not changed towards us. So, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Who could do any other? But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. A loving gesture. He laid his right hand upon me. You know, there are those who gather uh, when there's some royal personage passing by, uh, and they all want to shake the hand of, of this exalted person, maybe King Charles himself. Uh, and he's made himself available, hasn't he? Uh, towards the crowds and and you see him shaking hands they've learnt an art as the royal family of how to shake hands because the number of times they have to do it they didn't do it carefully they would end up with um, permanent sprained wrists and aching fingers so they've learned how to do it uh, but they've learned how to do it so it imparts a touch and so that person in that crowd would go home and say King Charles touched me. He shook my hand. And it would be special, wouldn't it? It would be an experience to cherish. 
But what about being touched by the Lord Jesus? That was something that was very much a characteristic, wasn't it, of his earthly ministry. I mean, he touched people that nobody else would touch. He touched the lepers. Uh, And those he healed, he often did so by means of a touch. He touched the eyes of the blind. Uh, He he lifted up Jairus' daughter by the hand. He went out of his way to show his compassion towards the sick and the needy by touching them. Must have been quite an experience if you were privileged to live in those days. But it's not given to us, is it? But uh, he touches us still. He most certainly does. He touches us through the ministry of his spirit. It's not a physical thing any longer as it was in those three years. But, but it is a real thing. It is the evidence of his compassion uh, and of the reality of his person that he touches us still. We are in his presence by being here tonight as the Lord's people. And he touches us uh, through the ministry of his word. Uh, and and it's, it, it's not just a, an airy-fairy thing, is it? It's, it is a reality that, that, that there's something in just hearing what he says uh, and, and dwelling upon it that makes it so real, so reassuring. It is as if he reaches out and touches us. Uh, uh, and it, it is such a reassurance that yes, he hasn't forgotten us. He is exalted now. He is glorified. That's his by right as the son of God. What about his people? He sends his spirit with this mission to make him real to us. Uh, And in that sense, in a literal sense, he touches us, doesn't he? And his words will touch your heart. (laughs) It's why it's so important to constantly remind yourself. We've got, in these modern Bibles, we've got his words in red, (laughs) I think that is a useful reminder. I'm entirely, not entirely persuaded of the value of it. Uh, well, I think there are some disadvantages to it. For one thing, it's not so easy to read red letters against a white background that is black. But it might lead us to a misconception that somehow the rest of the Bible is not important. These are the only important bits. That's not the impression we have to go away with. Nevertheless, it's helpful... You know you are looking at the very words that Jesus spoke and still speaks by his spirit. And in that sense, in a very real way, he touches us just as he reached out and laid his right hand on John. And what a, what a comfort, what a reassurance it must have meant to John. What is he, 
What is he going to do with me now? He's so high and glorious and above me in every way. And I'm just an old man and I'm old and I'm weary and my life is almost finished. And he reached out and put his right hand upon him. I'm just the same, John. You have no need to fear. I'm just the same. I love you still. I've always loved you. And I've not risen to such heights that I no longer have time for you. And as a mark of that, he touches him. Just as he still touches us today. All to know the loving touch of the Lord Jesus upon your life and mine. And what comfort that gives. And then, a gracious word. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. There are some wonderful words here. I just don't have time for uh, an in-depth exposition tonight. Let's just look at the essentials. I am the first and the last. I am the one who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I am the one who has the keys of Hades and death. I am the one who remains in supreme control of all things. I was here, John, before you were. And just as I was during those years of my earthly ministry when I was here, I am still here. And I will be to the end of eternity, which can never come. I am the first and I am the last. You have no need to fear, John. I'm, I'm in control of your world. I'm on your side against your enemies. Don't be afraid. How many times do you think in the scriptures you get those same words, fear not, do not be afraid. I don't, I don't know. I may, well have, I may well have said this to you before because uh, it's, it's something that I find very precious. But I love Bunyan and I love Pilgrim's Progress and I love the story. You know it, Mr. Fearing. Uh, it's a, we learn about him in a conversation between Mr. Greatheart and Mr. Honest. And they talk about this character, a fearful, timid, retiring character who uh, never had full assurance as he made his journey, always afraid he'd never get to where he wanted to go. And, and, and he gets to the slab, this bond, and, and you can imagine he's in there a month. Uh, and he's, he's in the depths of despair, still terrified. But the interesting thing, he wouldn't turn back. <laughs> And eventually he goes through the wicket gate and so on. We can follow. You read it for yourself. Pilgrim's Progress Part 2. It's a lovely story. And we follow his progress. But the thing that really just sticks in my mind is they come at last to Mr. Interpreter's house, which is um, a depiction of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Uh, and he won't go in. <laughs> He's too timid to go in. He sits outside in the cold and in the dark. Until somebody comes out and encourages him to come in. 
Uh, and they sit him at the table, and then it says uh, in Bunyan's wonderful language, they bring him the plate of good things and they choose the best portions just for him. Do not be afraid. Fear not, fear not, fear not. I am with you. And you get it throughout the Bible. And that's just what John needs, isn't it? I mean, here he is. He's, he's cast to the ground. He's, he's, in the, he's in the face of an experience that is just overwhelming him. Uh, uh, and he, he just doesn't know. He just doesn't know this person's going to do to him. Don't be afraid. I'm in charge. I did die, but now I'm alive again. Hasn't changed anything. I'm not going to abandon you now, John. Don't be afraid. Just imagine what that meant to John. (laughs) The Lord Jesus Christ is in glory now, but he won't forget an old friend. Just imagine what that means to you, my Christian brother or sister. He is in glory. He's exalted by right. The crown is upon his head. He is the supreme monarch. He will not abandon you now. Despite all your failings and your shortcomings and your weaknesses and your fears and your frailties, he promises that in these simple words. Do not be afraid. So, I think we need to take those words to ourselves, literally. I mean, life is not easy, is it, in the current circumstance? There's a lot of uncertainty about the future. We're all struggling uh, with things that are taking place around us. There is a sense of, I mean, we just struggled through this COVID period. Uh, and uh, and that, that's that's not been easy by a long way, is it? Um, I'm not too certain we've coped with it as well as we could have done as Christian people, but nevertheless, it's it's been a cause of real anxiety for so many. Uh, and sadly, we learn that those who have responsibility for us have tried to encourage us in our fear to keep us in line. What a monstrous tactic is that. <coughs> but we're Christian people. Uh, and, and we should not allow panic to drive us to despair. When all the while, the voice that comes from the king of the universe is, don't be afraid. I um, have done other things, by the way, in Myanmar <laughs> than uh, just minister to Daniel and, and his colleagues. Because uh, everywhere I've been and talked to other people, they say, oh, will you come do something for us as well? <laughs> uh, I could have been there still, actually, if I'd responded to every invitation. 
But uh, I, ha I had the privilege of uh, teaching for a couple of weeks in a, uh, a Bible school in Yangon. And I had in front of me maybe 15, 20 young people, um, boys and girls, and we went through the pastoral epistles together and it was a great joy. So in a teaching session, uh, after we'd been at it perhaps for about an hour or so, I'd say, well, take a break for 15 minutes. Uh, and as soon as that happened, the next thing that happened amongst them was a guitar would come out and they'd start to sing, which is what they loved to do. And I loved to listen to them. And they sang something, a song that I, I've, not, I've never come across before. I hadn't then. And it's, I don't think it's particularly well known in this country. It comes from the United States. I, I've not seen it in a songbook that's available uh, in this country. But you can actually... If you use such a thing, you can actually find it on Bluetooth. And I'm just reading um, part of that. There are days when clouds surround us and rain begins to fall. The cold and lonely winds don't cease to blow. And there seems to be no reason for the suffering we feel we're tempted to believe God does not know. When the storms arise, don't forget we live by faith and not by sight. Bow the knee. Trust the heart of God your Father. When the answer goes beyond what you can see, bow the knee, lift your eyes toward heaven and believe the one who holds eternity. <clears throat> and when you don't understand the purpose of his plan in the presence of the King, bow the knee. My friends, we are in the presence of the king. We are. Uh, and the call to us as Christian people, despite the circumstances of life, is to humbly submit to the will of our saviour, to bow the knee to him. And then he speaks a message from the throne, <laughs> a message from the king. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last.